You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good to see you all here. I only have one small correction to say about the passport. You do not need a passport to go to Mexico. You need a passport to come back from Mexico. (laughs) Uh, We today are not continuing through Genesis. We are all done about two weeks ago and yeah, it was a wonderful journey, very, uh, very enlightening for me, a lot of things to, that I learned through the journey and was able to just share out week by week. It was wonderful, um, wonderful time, and, but we're going to be moving towards a new series in a couple of weeks. We'll be going through Acts, but we have a couple of um, things we're going to be talking about before then. And so last week we had Steve and Terry Barr here, and Steve talked about the, really out of Philippians 1, this whole gospel of suffering. He camped out right around the verse uh, 21 saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I was considering his main points from this message. And the very first one is that happiness is temporary. That if we're going to chase out after happiness, you will constantly be chasing after happiness because happiness will be dependent on different things in your life. And as, as those things dissipate, as those things change, as those things go away, you will have to chase it and chase it and chase it and chase it. Whereas the joy of the Lord is lasting. The joy of the Lord is concrete. It's not going anywhere. It's not contingent on the things of this world. We can turn to God and know that he is always there. And we can find our peace and our joy in him. It won't, and it'll actually mean not everything will be happy, but it will be content. We will be satisfied in the Lord. We will have that joy to to strengthen us knowing that he is always with us. And to not be surprised. The second point, don't, don't be surprised when the difficult things happen in this life. When fiery trials come upon you, when we realize, hey, this is a fallen world we live in. This isn't a perfect world. Not everything is always puppies and kittens and rainbows all the time. Sometimes rough stuff happens. Don't be surprised. And then Paul invites us, hey, don't be, not only don't be surprised that these things are happening, but in fact, come with me on this journey and kind of welcome them to happen a lot more often than you'd like. I mean, we've got beatings ahead of us. We've got floggings ahead of us. We've got stonings. We've got people cursing us. We've got people throwing us out. We've got people wanting us to not be around. It's great. Let's do this together. I don't hear any cheers. It's like... And then he ends, yeah, uh, ends by asking this question. After the, all of this, the whole gospel, not the gospel, the doctrine of suffering, are the things you're living for worth what Christ died for? Does your life match up to what God has called you to? Did his, is his sacrifice showing fruit in your life? Are the choices you make, the things that you're going after, the things that are occupying your time, your attention, your efforts, worth what Christ did for you? And it's a it's a little bit of a sobering question. And I think a lot of us we we hear that sort of question and it gets us reoriented. We straighten out a bit. It's okay, I I do want to be on track. You're right, I've done this or done that. I need to I need to course change. I need to get back to where I am 
walking with the Lord strong again. And that's great and that's wonderful. But smack dab in the middle of Steve's message, he made this statement. He said, the devil is going to do different things to try to cause you to stumble. He's going to throw stumbling blocks in your way. Now, we shouldn't attribute everything bad or difficult that happens in your life to the devil. That's giving him way more credit than he deserves. But he is a real enemy, and he really does cause challenges and difficulties in our lives. And so we're going to address some of those things today. And in fact, what's interesting to me about it is it's both good things that happen in your life and bad things that happen in your life. And so I was in looking into this because there's so many different things that could be stumbling blocks to us within life, I wanted to narrow it down to what are kind of some of the major things. And I looked at the parable of the sower, and this is when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and he's saying there's different kinds of people out there. And he referenced people to seeds. There's some that are sown along the path, and they just get eaten up by the birds. There are some that are sown on the rocks, and they sprout up right away, but there's no roots, so the moment the sun comes out, they die. There's some that are sown amongst the weeds, and they're choked out, and they're never fruitful. And then there are the ones that are sown among the good soil and they produce an immense harvest. And that's what everybody wants to be. I want to be sown in good soil. But the reality is there's a lot of things in our life in those center two seeds. And when Jesus goes on to explain it, he talks about it in this way. He says, those seeds that are sown along the rocks, those are people that receive the gospel with joy. They're excited. They're on fire. They're passionate for Jesus. They're telling everybody about Jesus until things get hard. The moment any sort of trial, any sort of tribulation, because there's no root to them at all, they fall away. They lapse. They go, Lord, how could this happen to me? You told me every good thing would happen. Blessings, blessings. How could anything bad happen? Are you even really there? And they, they fall away. And then you have the second kinds of people. And this isn't necessarily bad things happening in your life. The ones that get, as he, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The cares of this life, the good things in this life become the distraction. And I was considering the different things that do indeed distract us, and there's two sides of this coin. There's the good of it, and there's the potential bad in it. The Hebrew words are tov, meaning good, and ra, meaning bad. Ra has all sorts of different meanings within it, evil, calamity, disaster, strife, but I want to focus on just this idea of bad things happening in our lives. And I looked at what I felt were the top five for us in America as believers. The very first one is work. Work can be a wonderful thing, a good thing in your life, particularly when you get that job that is really deeply fulfilling, it's satisfying, it pays all the bills, you love going to it, it's not a burden upon you, it's good. But some things can come along with that. It can start to become your identity. This job is who I am, and I need to provide, and I need to keep going, and I need to keep expanding, and I need to be successful in my company. If I don't do this, they might let me go because the competition is too high, and our standard of living has risen to this, so I couldn't possibly ever leave this job. We've got to continue on with it, and I've got to put more work. The, the economy's turning down. I've got to put in extra hours, and I've got to work more so that we can go and do all those things we always wanted, and we want to pay out the house sooner, and I want to, and I want to, and I want to, and I want to, and all of a sudden, the job is controlling your entire existence. This thing that it was a good thing in your life, it's a good job. 
But when it defines everything you will ever do in your life, it has become a stumbling block for a good thing. But then we flip over on what could potentially be the bad side is when you have that and you are fired or you're let go because of cutbacks, because of that economy going on the decline. And there aren't any other ones of those jobs in existence. And you can't find another fulfilling work. And the only thing available to, to you is something that just drives you insane and that you hate going to day after day after day. Just ask anybody that lived in the job economy during the years of 2008 and 2011 and what life was like when you lost that job. And there's just nothing available to you. And they will tell you how much of a distraction that became in their life. It's consuming. Because then you start worrying about the bills that need to be paid. You worry about, are we going to be able to live in this house anymore? Are we going to be able to do any of the things we wanted to do anymore? Our entire life is flipped upside down because we no longer have this stability that we had. It's a distraction. The next big thing that's right now within our world is health. And this became an even bigger thing because of COVID. This idea of being healthy and well. And it actually got, has gotten to the consuming point where I know of people that have been hospitalized with anxiety issues over the idea of potentially ever getting sick. And so good health has become such an idol that it's controlling them going anywhere and doing anything because this immense fear of them ever not having this good health, of them ever getting sick in any way or form. And so it was good being healthy and making good choices so that you stay healthy. That's not a bad thing. But when it consumes your life and you can't do anything anymore because you might come across somebody that might give you a cold, that is a huge distraction and will cause you to suffer in your fruitfulness. But then on the flip side of this, when things go bad and you do get a serious illness or a major injury or a disease or something that is going to rock your life, it won't be the same after this. That's going to consume you. And then... We move on to family. Family is a wonderful thing of the Lord, a beautiful thing of the Lord, something that he has ordained and he desires for us, and it's good. And sometimes I think this can often be the bigger distraction when everything is good in your family, when everyone's happy, when everyone's together, when you've got a big family and everyone's close. But within that, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to keep everybody happy. There's so many stories about dysfunctional families and people falling away and strife and dysfunction. And we just, we don't want to have that. Don't rock the boat. We got to do everything to make sure everyone is happy as possible in this family all the time. We got to make sure our kids have every opportunity they could possibly have in the world that I never had in my life. And I'm going to make sure that we do everything, 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 everything. <laughs> and it, consume, it can consume your life within that, trying to make sure that our family is happy and perfect and ideal in every possible moment. But then you do have the bad side of that as well. When families are dysfunctional, when families are estranged, when people aren't getting along, when children grow up and they fall away from the Lord and you're just so deeply wanting them to come back and it just it's keeps you up at night worrying over them, worrying about their future, worrying about their salvation, worrying about where they are, worrying about their safety. 
worrying about the people that they're associating with now, the people that they're marrying now. It can become consuming. And then there's stability. Fought, we'll go look at the good side first. We fought so long to have the stability. We were so poor for so long in our 20s. We were scratching two beans together to eat. And we finally, we've got that decent job and we found that decent house and we found that decent neighborhood and we found this wonderful community here and we've got this good place and we've started the family. We've got our two and a half kids. Or if you're in this church, you're five and a half kids. We've got the five acres. We've got the chickens. We've got the pigs. We've got it. It's just good. Pause. Just pause forever right here. It's stable and it's good. We've been working so hard to get here and it's good right now. And if that starts defining choices, how on earth will you be called to Macedonia to move there permanently to give up all of the stability? Because God calls people to do those sorts of things. Then we have the bad side when we go from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. Kid broke an arm, car broke down, house caught on fire. Grandma's in the hospital, dad lost a job. Crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. That starts to consume you. What's going to happen next? We're just in survival mode. How are we effective? We're just trying to survive. And then we hit the final thing. Big number five. And this is really particular to America. Retirement. No excited sounds in the audience. Don't talk about my sacred cow. When life becomes about retirement, every decision you make is about that day, that magical day in the future when I won't have to work anymore. And I will make every decision in my life based on how that will end. Every decision about my job, every decision about what I live, every decision about everything we do is, is the retirement secured? I will stay in this job I hate for the next 30 years because the pension plan is amazing. Gotta have this retirement. It's a, it's a good thing to lay money aside to be able to get to a point in your life where you don't have to work as much. But I'm gonna tell you now, work is good for you. People who retire and stop doing things die early. Stats don't lie. At least those ones don't. You need to continue having something to do with your time to keep your mind busy, keep yourself engaged. Work of some sort is good for you. But it's great if we can get to a spot where we don't have to have as much demand on us at a certain point in our life. That's not a bad thing. But when it consumes every potential decision into your future because it might affect that in some way, it becomes a distraction and it limits our effectiveness. But then we have on the, the bad side of this, Retirement, for as wonderful as it is, for a lot of us, isn't guaranteed. Pensions might dry up, and that promise you were made for the last 30 years of your work could go away in an instant, and all of your plans are now changed. Any money tied up in the stock market, as far as investments, which most retirement plans are, one 
terrible economic event, gone. Happened in the 30s. We had a sighting of that in our 10s. It, it could happen again. If the government continues to delve into the social security pool and go, well, there's money right here, we'll use it for this. That won't be there. But so many people rely on that for their livelihood. But it's not guaranteed. And what happens if it goes away? How about a very real situation? Both you and your spouse got into the retirement age, you're relying on Social Security, and one of you passes away, as what happens when people get older. You no longer have two incomes. I'm going to dispel any lack of knowledge here or disbelief. You don't get to continue to have both of those incomes. When one of you passes away, you just get whichever one was higher. And then you're down to one income, but your bills did not go down to one income's worth of bills. Money will become extremely tight. Your everything about your living situation will change on that day, as well as dealing with the loss of your spouse. If you're not sure of how big a distraction that is, you can come talk to me. I've had a family member go through this, and they didn't know it was coming. And it rocks your life. It diminishes your effectiveness because it becomes immense distraction of how can I even manage my regular bills day by day. The good and the bad of things, they are stumbling blocks in our life and they're all a part of regular life. We're going to look at the example that Jesus' temptation and Job's testing today. Starting in Jesus' temptation, he has just been baptized. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him, and he's being led out into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Anybody have that situation? I'm heading into this knowing it's going to be bad. But he doesn't test us on a high note. You're going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. You know what? I bet after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you might be hungry. And what's the very first thing the devil tests Jesus with? Hunger. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hunger is a real thing. Thirst is a real thing. Needing clothing, needing shelter. They are basic human needs, and there's no wrong with wanting to make sure those are taken care of. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. But what's interesting about this is how it can become so consuming in our lives, particularly in a situation where this was written, where scarcity was a way bigger thing than it is now. Starvation was a way bigger thing for them than it is for us. They were worried about, am I going to eat today? If you were worried about if you were going to eat today or not, you would be thinking about food a lot more. And that can become very consuming when there really isn't enough. We're on the flip side of that, where there's so much. There's so much abundance that we're on the part where if I haven't eaten in three hours, it's a crime against humanity. <laughs> and we don't have proper perspective in this. 
And we let that become a distraction because every moment of my life needs to be comfortable. And Jesus said out of Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There's so much more to your life than this. These are important. But if you just simply focus on the things of God, these things are going to get taken care of. And even we're in the spot where you're in a difficult, difficult point and you might not know where the grocery bills are, if we're following after the purposes of God, you're going to be in community. If you're actually walking in humility and not in pride and you're willing to reach out and say, I need help, the community helps one another. We make sure no one goes hungry. We make sure no one goes without clothing. We make sure everyone's got shelter. That's what community is for. And it's saying, just follow after the purposes of God. These things are going to get taken care of. Don't let them rob you of the rest of your life. Your life is more than this. Because it will rob you of that life. In that same passage, he says, you cannot add a single moment to your life through worry. You cannot turn one hair black or one hair gray. Your worry will make it gray faster, and your worry will end your life sooner. <laughs> so simply chase after the things of God, and these things will come together, because your God knows what you need already. He's already created a plan so that you will be cared for during those most difficult of times. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. And I considered this, what he's being tested with here, and I think the thing that jumped out to me this week was this idea of I want to be special. I want to be the exception to the rule. I want something about what I do to be significant. I want the normal rules to not have to apply to me. I want to have a huge impact in my sphere. I want to be influential. I want to be important in some way. And there's some challenge in this. I think the challenge really comes for those that are five-talent people, two-talent people, more so than it is for the one-talent person. Because the five-talent person knows they've got a lot of abilities. They know they've got a lot to offer. And that desire for significance become ever more prominent because you look around and think, I'm so much better at all these things than all these other people. I should be doing great things. And everybody needs to get on board with that. Everybody needs to see that. Everyone, I need everyone to see all the amazing things that I can do and that I can offer. But with that becomes pride and judgment. And you become unpleasant to work with, <laughs> which diminishes unity and it diminishes effectiveness. And so it didn't matter that you were a five-talent person because you behaved like a big old jerk about it. And then where are you going? And then on the flip side, we have the one-talent person who would just love to be that five-talent person. And they love that their gifting gets noticed. And they, they would just love to somehow be up on stage. Or they would love to be able to speak and have people, have people be saved out the wazoo. But that's not their gifting. 
And so because of that, because they're constantly looking at that, they're never acknowledging what God has gifted them with. And they've lacked effectiveness because if they had simply looked at their gifting, they could be bringing other things along in other directions. But because it's not in the light that they want it to be, they're no longer effective with it. In Romans 12, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And that's on both the good, I've got so much talent ability, and the bad, I really only have this one gifting and I feel like I was shortchanged. But to look with sober judgment and say, both of these have value and purpose, and they're a part of the community, and each one is essential. I have something that God has given me to give, and it doesn't matter what it is, I can give this out to others and help the kingdom grow within it. Sober judgment on what I have. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan! For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. This desire for power, this desire to be heard, this desire, I want to be in charge, I want phenomenal cosmic power. I want to snap my fingers and people jump to attention. I want to give commands and people march. I want to speak and have the room hush to hang on every word of my wisdom that I can bring to this world. I want to be in the room where things happen. I want people to follow after me because I could do it so much better. I could bring us so much farther. I could take us and I want it so bad. I want it so bad to be in charge. I was born for this. (laughs) This is a dangerous spot to be because often that desire is I want other people to listen to me. I want to be heard in a tangible way. I want people to march to the beat of my drum. I want to be in charge. And in Mark 10, 42, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This worldly desire to rule over, to be in charge, to be able to tell people and they move, cannot be married to God's economy of authority and leadership. You cannot have the commander and the servant be the same person at the same time. God, within this call to servant leadership, is a calling to take your amazing talents and abilities to see the future, to be able to see what's ahead. I know what's coming. I know what's going to be best for us. I know what we're going to take into consideration and then be able to take that and say, how do I set all of my desires aside? How do I look at the people that God has set me over and consider what's going to be best for them to carry them along through it? 
Am I going to give up all of my wishes, my wants, my plans, my purposes? Am I going to be able to put myself completely in obedience to the Lord and look to his word for guidance and be able to look to the people that he set me over and say, what's going to be best for them at my expense? That is a slave to all. That's the attitude of a servant as opposed to an authoritative ruler. And so if you find yourself in that spot, I was born to lead. I need to be in charge. I need to be in that spot. I would deeply encourage you to go before the Lord and ask the question, why do I feel that way? And what is it that I really want here? Am I actually motivated from a mentality? I do feel that I need to give up. You're calling me to give up myself to serve this community in this way. It should be something that we address with sober judgment because it is not the rulership of the world. And if you do feel that calling, continue to pursue it. I do feel that God has called me to give up all of me for the sake of these people. Then keep going forward. But if you know in your heart, I just really like being in charge, it's an immense caution for you. And now we turn to Job. Before we had some good and some bad, Job's just bad. Poor Job. Job 1, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Job was everything everybody would want to be. He was good. He was fair. He was righteous. He was just. He was upright, a loving father, a great boss, all the amazing, wonderful qualities. He'd been successful. He was immensely wealthy. He had a huge family, lots of friends, lots of influence, lots of authority, and it's gone. All of his possessions stolen by raiders. Almost all of his servants, but three, were killed. All of his family is wiped out. Everything gone in a day. And how would we respond? I think often when we read Job, we read it in a very clinical sort of way. Wow, that was rough. But do you actually put yourself in the shoes and imagine for a moment, right now, what would that look like? A bomb hits all of your family that's here. They're, They're gone. Cyber attack on our systems. All the bank's records are wiped out. Your money is gone. The nation is in turmoil. We've gone to war. Your job doesn't exist anymore. Everything is gone. Do you respond in this way? Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
the tearing of the robe, the shaving of his head, he's in mourning for what he's lost. It's a real thing he's lost. He's not saying, oh, whoop-de-doo. He's in mourning, but he's within that saying, blessed be God. God gives, God takes away. Blessed be God. To think for a moment, I would be totally fine. I would be just like Job. And you've never walked through that is hubris. The challenge that would bring would be immense on every level that most of us find important. It's something we might, we, it would be well for us to hold the caution and be prepared for. When he says, do not be surprised, that implies a certain level of preparation here. Then again, Job 2, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. And this taps into our universal fear of pain. Job's life was made into perpetual physical torment. It was painful and agonizing to simply continue living, but life clung to him. God wouldn't let him pass away. But his life was physical torment. You cannot go away from it. You can't flee from it. There's no remedy to it. Your body is betraying you. And there are real things in our life where that can and does happen. A terrible accident that prevents you from doing anything that you had been doing before in your career. A debilitating disease. An immense sickness that will further limit your ability to do anything into the future. Heart attack, stroke, cancer. No people that have had a stroke and everything's still going on here, but there's a disconnect. They can no longer get what they're thinking to their words. How frustrating your life would become that no one can understand you anymore. And these things happen every day. It's an immense sort of thing that we have to guard our hearts in that this very well could happen. This isn't an exception I'm talking about. And God doesn't say, hey, it's not a big deal. There's no sugarcoating. There's an acknowledgement that these are very real, difficult things everyone's going to walk through. And so here's the encouragement for you from Romans 8. It says, For I consider the sufferings, the very real challenges of life, of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's a no diminishment of the struggle, but it's an acknowledgement, this is temporary. This is hard right now. This is difficult right now. But in the light of eternity, it's going to be a blip. It's going to be just this passing moment, a vapor, a breath, and then we will be in eternity before God. 
be everlasting with him, enjoying his pleasure, enjoying being on this earth in community where there's no longer suffering and pain. It's just, it's a blip. The suffering is real while you're here, but keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes on Jesus to carry you through it. Because God's not going to make light of what you're going through. In fact, he walked through life as he did so that he could be compassionate towards you and be your comforter knowing the struggle you walk through. So these, what can we learn? They're very real things. The basic needs of a life, the desire to be important and impactful in some sort of way, this desire to, I want to be in charge, this avoid, I don't want to be poor, I don't want to have poverty, I don't want to have losses in life, and I don't want to have pain. They're really significant things. And we're told, don't be surprised. We need to be prepared then. We need to have some sort of tools to go to so when these things happen. So I came across Ephesians 6. It's talking about the whole armor of God. And I've always thought this passage was really corny because it's the imagining I'm going to dress up like a Roman centurion with the armor of God. But it gives us some really important tools to utilize when we look at what Paul's saying. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. Be confident in who God is. Be confident in his word. When he says, I am in control, believe that he's in control. I know he is close at hand. I know I can rely on him. I know he never leaves me. I will be confident in the Lord. And know who the real enemy in this world is. Know that it is not flesh and blood that we're wrestling against. There's a very real devil. There's a very real spiritual powers out in the world trying to deceive you, trying to bring you down, trying to make you ineffective, realize who the enemy really is and tell yourself what's true. Because the enemy has had a lot more time to scheme and plan and manipulate to get untruth out in the world to return back to you, to discourage you, to deceive you, to pull you down. But remind yourself what is true. I am a child of the King Most High. I acknowledge that God exists. I acknowledge that he came to this earth. And I acknowledge that he went to the cross and died for my sin. And I am no longer a slave to these things. I can be confident fully in the Lord every day of my life. And that is true. Amen. Amen. And I will choose to respond righteously when the difficult things happen in my life. I will choose to continue being a light because a righteous response will never make your situation worse. Whereas if we choose a worldly response, it can only tear us down. 
I will choose the way of the Lord. I will choose his peace. I will choose his humility. I will choose his patience. I will choose his perseverance. And I know that will carry me through in ways that nothing else ever could. And I will preach to myself this gospel of peace. I will preach to myself that God came. God is here with me. God saved me. God is close. God is at hand every single day. I am forgiven. I do not have to believe the lies of this world. And I will remind myself of this. And I will hold firm to my faith. I will think about all the things God has told me. He came into this world. He made it perfect. We have sinned and he made a way. And I won't let anyone take that from me. I will stand firm on that. And I will let that be my joy. And I will let that be my peace, knowing that God is true and no one can rob me of this. And I will remind myself of my salvation. This isn't it. This is not the end of the story. It's not a lifetime of suffering and then a, we're out. No, there's so much more beyond this. I am saved, I am redeemed, and I will be restored. When Jesus rose himself up, it gives us a future and a hope that we will too take part in the resurrection. We will be raised up on that final day. We will see the Lord. We will be restored in a new body and we will be able to live again with God. This isn't it. I'm saved from this life. And I will return to God's word and pray. And that doesn't have to be a pious, difficult thing in your closet where it's got to be said a certain way in a certain amount of time in a certain words. It's just speaking with God, being with Him day by day, a relationship with your Savior, a relationship with God Almighty. I will reach out to you, and I will be a part of this life with you, and I will walk with you. And because I'm regularly close to you, when things are hard, you will be near at hand. And I won't feel like you're ever far. And I'll be comforted by you, and I will be able to stand firm because I know you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for difficult messages. We thank you that you've invited us on this journey and you've not left us alone on it, Lord. We thank you that we can seek after you day by day, that we can know you personally, and we can always turn to you, God, through any of the difficulties in life. We just ask you to continue reminding us of your kingdom, of your purposes, of your plan for our life, and to bring us out of these distractions that make us ineffective. We thank you for all you do, God. Amen.